Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip with me today to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series through um, called the Beatitudes. And if you've missed it so far, it's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it describes what life is like in the inside-out, upside-down, countercultural kingdom of God. And so you can flip with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles on the aisles. Um, and so feel free to use one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. It's our gift to you. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning we're in the week three of this series, and today we're going to focus focus on verses 9 to 12. And so we start with the first statement there in verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now in week 1 we talked about the word blessed and what that means in the Greek. It's the Greek word makarios, and it literally means to be happy. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I think we can all agree that when we live lives, when we're at peace with those around us, life is so much more pleasant. Now, if you are married, you know this better than most. If you've ever been in a household where there's tension or there's people walking on eggshells or there's anger or friction, uh, you know that's not very enjoyable. If you are in a household where, heaven forbid, the silent treatment happens, that can be a really awkward thing in a household. Who here has had the silent treatment before? Not many people are brave enough to put up their hands. We've got one funeral over there, David Griffiths. Well done. It's been good knowing you, mate. Uh, But yeah, sometimes in a household, there is the silent treatment and it can be very, very awkward in a house. I know in our household, there's been uh, times where our marriage has been great and there's been times where marriage has been more difficult. And I must admit, I've spoken to other guys before and they said there've been times in their marriage where they've been thinking, if I could just work out what this lady is thinking, I would write a book and be an instant millionaire. Because if we could just work out what women think sometimes, we'd be so much better off. But us guys are a bit dense. Sometimes we're sitting on the couch watching our wives do everything and we wonder why they're upset. And sometimes if you just got off the couch, she wouldn't be angry. And so sometimes there's tension in the house and sometimes it's the husband's fault and sometimes it's the wife's fault. Uh, In our house, it's always the husband's fault, never the wife's fault. Uh, In fact, there's no tension in our house at all. Um, It's always good at our house, so there's never anything to worry about. Of course, I'm not speaking from personal experience. I value my life too much. Um, But I've heard stories of other men and some of the struggles they've had in their household. Um, Have you noticed that these illustrations come up when my wife is on Follow Kids? Uh, We've talked about this before. What happens in the service? Exactly right. If you want a takeaway, 
today. Here's the takeaway. My wife is the most amazing woman on the planet and she is beautiful and awesome and I love her to bits. If you want a takeaway to go run to Kim, take her that. The rest stays right here in the service. But there are times in life where we feel a lack of peace. And whether it's between a husband and a wife or parents and their kids or whether it's at our workplace or even in the church or in our extended family, it's fair to say in that environment people don't find much joy. When there's a lack of peace, the joy seems to evaporate. Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That story, that, that statement makes perfect logic sense. We are happier when we're at peace with those around us. Uh, at our church leadership meeting recently, we uh, open up the Word and we gather around the Word of God every time we meet as leaders. And recently we did that around this passage. And we were talking about this very verse And one of our elders, Ray Gunton over here, made the point that it says that we're peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. And I think that's a good point to make. Um, If you know what peacekeepers do, for example, the UN, they have peacekeepers and they send them into a foreign country after a a dictator's been overturned or oppression has been lifted and, and a peacemaker goes into the country where there's been a whole lot of conflict and their job is to keep the peace in that environment. And so they work with local authorities and police and the local community to promote lasting peace. That's their job. They keep peace where peace has already been achieved. Now, we have peace in Christ. And so there's no doubt that part of our role in a community such as this one is that we are called to be peacekeepers. The Bible talks over and over again about dwelling together in unity. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. If you're going to be in a church that's at peace, you need those things. To be humble, to be gentle, to be patient. It says bearing with one another in love. And then it says make every effort. doesn't say make the occasional effort. doesn't say make the effort when you feel like it. doesn't say make the effort with just the people you like. It says make every effort on every occasion to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's why we don't want to be a church that gets into gossip or or talking or grumbling about stuff all the time because we want to be people that are always working towards building unity in our church. Psalm 133 says where, where the people of God dwell in unity, God commands his blessing. We want the commanded blessing of God over our church and in order for that to happen, we need to be a group of people who are united around Christ and united with one another. And so it's absolutely right that we need to be peacekeepers, but we need to be more than that. We're also called not just to be peacekeepers, but also called to be peacemakers. In other words, peacemaking is something that you and I, as members of the body of Christ and as part of his kingdom, part of the calling on our life is that we should be making peace in every area of our life that we possibly can. We carry the peace of Christ, and so we're called to bring peace into situations where there is no peace. And that is one of the calls of God on our lives as members of his kingdom. And so it's incredibly important that we become peacemakers. The Bible says that we are reconciliation, we're agents of reconciliation. Like 007, like you've got a special mission. And your mission is to go and to make peace uh, where there is no peace. It's like, peace, 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 everywhere you go. Every relationship you're in, every situation you're going through, the call of God on your life is to be a peacemaker. Now, that doesn't make sense uh, in an earthly kingdom, which these guys that Jesus was speaking to were expecting. 
It doesn't make sense in our world because we, we place above peace the need to be right, uh, the need to justify our actions, the need to look like we've got it all together and to get even with those people who, who do the wrong things to us. But Jesus is, is changing the perceptions of what a kingdom is. He's showing people that's what an earthly kingdom looks like, but this is the kingdom of God I'm talking about. And in the kingdom of God, I'm calling you and I'm giving you my spirit to be people who make peace. Peacemakers don't just keep the peace, although that's important. They make peace. That means they actually initiate it. You create something where it wasn't before. And in God's strength, what he's saying, and this is a word for some of us this morning, he's saying, I want you to be the one that stretches out your hand. I want you to be the one who takes the first step. I want you to be the one who builds the bridge in the relationships in your life that are broken right now. And so I want to speak to you today, and I believe the Holy Spirit's placing on us this as a congregation, and I want to ask you, who are the people in your life right now that you're not reconciled with? Who are the people that you are at friction with, you are having tension with? Peter's laughing because he's sitting next to Rona. We'll pray for you guys later on. But... I always seem to pick on Peter, don't I? He must be the most expressive guy here. Uh, And he takes it well, so that's awesome. But but we're called to be people who make peace. And sometimes we think, well, they don't deserve it. Well, guess what? We don't deserve uh, forgiveness and all the stuff that God's given us. But he's given it to us so that we can express it to one another. And this is what makes a community like us different to every other community in the world. That we are a group of people who are determined um, to be people who live at peace with one another. And so blessed are the peacemakers. And so if this is our role, we need to know where, or in this case, who peace actually comes from. Now, if you're a bread maker and you make bread, you need to know bread. So if you came to me today and you said, look, I want you to make some bread for us for for lunch today, I could go and give it a crack. I don't know where I'd start. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd give it a crack. And you wouldn't regret it until you bit into that piece of bread. And then you would think, why did I ask Luke to make bread? And so you wouldn't come to Luke to make you bread. You'd go to a baker. Because a baker knows bread, but more to the point, a baker can provide bread. And it's the same with peace. If we're going to be peacemakers, we need to go to the person who can provide peace in our lives so that we can give from what we have, not give from what we don't have. And the person who brings peace into our lives is Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Christ himself is our peace. You can look at that passage in your own time. But the Apostle Paul talks about, talks about a, a wall of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. If you're familiar with the Bible story, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a guy called Abram. And he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to become a great nation. And your, your descendants, they'll be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I'm going to bless you in incredible ways. And through you, through this nation, I'm going to bless all nations on earth. Now, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they they grabbed a hold of those promises of God, particularly the first ones. But they forgot about the last one, that God had called them with a purpose. And the purpose was that he would use them to to be a blessing and ultimately to bring salvation to all the nations. And so in the Old Testament, you see the Jewish people living like they're the only ones that God cared about, that they're the only ones that could be in relationship with him, that anyone outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish nation, they were seen as unclean and dirty. They were referred to Gentile, as Gentile dogs. And so it was very sad. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's actually addressing this and he says, in Christ, that wall of hostility that you built up between one another has been torn down. 
And in Christ, you are now one family, that you are gathered and you are united, not by your heritage or by anything in your life, but you're united in Christ. And together, when we put our faith in him, we become the family of God. And that's a beautiful thing to be part of his family. And so it's wonderful to see that that Christ, through the cross, his death and resurrection, destroyed those walls of hostility that exist between people. But the passage goes on and it says something even greater because it shows us and reminds us that Jesus destroyed another wall which was even more significant. It was the wall between us and God the Father. It's the wall that exists between us, sinful human beings, and a holy God. And Ephesians chapter 2 makes it clear that through the cross, Jesus didn't just destroy the wall of hostility between us as people, but he destroyed the wall of hostility that existed between us and a holy God. This is the wonderful truth of the gospel. Many people, uh, even Christians, try their whole lives to get through that wall by a whole lot of things. And we know that, that walls really divide, don't they? They don't unite, they divide. Uh, You might think about a president at the moment in the US by the name of Donald Trump and one of his big um, ideas is to build a big wall between the US and Mexico and and he wants to keep them out and he wants to keep uh, America safe and you'll notice as soon as he started talking about the wall, you saw the tension start to rise. You saw the separation start to increase because walls create an us versus them. Walls separate us from one another and they keep us apart from God. And there is absolutely nothing worse than being separated from the God who created us. To to live a life where there's this wall of hostility between us and God is a tragic thing, but the truth is it's us that's put the wall there. It's our sin that keeps us out of the presence of a holy God. And in and of our own strength, there is nothing we can do to pull that wall down. If it relies on us, we will forever be separated from God. That is the greatest tragedy that can ever exist in someone's life, to be separated from God. But the good news is that God has made a way through that wall. We see many people, even Christians, spend their whole lives trying to to go through that wall or over that wall or under that wall. But let me give you some really deep theological truth today. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can only go through it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the gate. If you enter through me, you will be saved. Jesus has made a way through that wall of hostility. Jesus' death and resurrection was the equivalent of getting a a big divine sledgehammer and smashing away through the wall where we could never get through that wall. But he smashed his way through that wall and he provided a way and he said, in me, Uh, in me, put your faith in me and we'll step through that wall of hostility together and you will come back into the presence of God and on the other side of that wall is incredible, lasting peace. It's an incredible thing. Your good works won't get you through that wall. Your family heritage and your parents' faith won't get you through that wall. Your coming to church won't get you through the wall. Comparing yourself to those around you, it won't get you through the wall. Other religions won't get you through the wall. Only Jesus will get you through the wall. And on the other side of that wall is lasting peace. You know, I think everyone wants to live a life of peace. I think we all want to be at peace in in every area of our lives. But the problem is that many people live their whole lives trying to find peace in the wrong place. And they never seem to find it. I remember years ago, my parents had a, a friend. And this friend was a very wealthy man. Lived in a ritzy part of Melbourne, had a mansion, 
um, had you know, lots of cars, lots of money in the bank, he had a, a young family, he had everything that, uh, you look at this guy and every, everyone would say, if you had that, you'd be a success. If you had that, then you would be at peace. I mean, he had it all. Uh, you know, we often think if I just had some more money in the bank or if I could pay off my mortgage or if, if I could get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if I could get married and have kids, then, then finally I'll find peace. But we find we get there and we still find that peace eludes us because we look for peace in all the wrong spots. And this guy had everything you could ever imagine you would need to be a person living at peace. The problem was that the family never seemed to find that it was enough. They always wanted more. They never appeared to be grateful and whatever he did, it just didn't seem to be enough. And so this man, he never found peace in his life until one day it all became too much. And and one year, it just had been too hard to try and please everyone and to try and find that peace. And they found this man in a local park hanging from a tree on Father's Day. It's an absolute tragedy that we look for peace in all of these things that don't bring any lasting peace at all. I think we often look to the big questions of life, don't we, to find peace. Questions like, who am I? Questions like, um, am I going to get by? Have I got enough to live on? Questions like, what about my past? Will anybody love me? What does the future hold? These big questions of life are the things that we spend our whole lives kind of pursuing and trying to find peace in. But the truth is this, that you will never find any lasting peace in these areas apart from Christ. The question of who I am, who am I is a really big one. I think a lot of people spend their whole life trying to find a sense of identity. Who am I? And I think the biggest problem with that question is this, that people look to find the answer to the question, who am I, in what they do. When you meet someone for the first time, the first question they ask, what is it always? What do you do? And I have fun answering that question. I say, I'm a pastor. And uh, often they, they think they've misheard me or they think I don't look like a pastor. And so they say, what, a, a plasterer? And I say, no, no, a pastor. And they say, of a church? And I say, yeah, but you've got no idea how cool our church is. Uh, it's a privilege to pastor a church like ours. And, uh, you know, they say, what? Well, I thought pastors were just old guys with grey hair. And I said, no, sometimes they're young guys with grey hair as well. <laughs> and, and that's me. And so, you know, I answer the question, I'm a pastor, but you have a different answer. Most of you aren't pastors. You are, you know, a policeman or you're a carpenter or a plumber or a... Uh, you know, a stay-at-home mum or a business owner or an artist. And so we answer the question with what we do. And the problem is this, that as soon as we answer that question, people start to, I think, subconsciously pigeonhole who we are. Oh, that's Luke the weird pastor. Or that's Ray the policeman, I'm going to be nice to him. Or, or that's so-and-so the builder, I need a deck done at my house. And they start to pigeonhole who we are. But the more dangerous thing is this, that we start to pigeonhole ourselves. And we start to draw a sense of identity from what we do rather than who we really are. And that's a real issue because one day if I'm not a pastor or raised no longer a policeman or your business fails or your kids move out of home or you can't sell any art, you're left with this question again of who am I? Maybe I'm nobody. Maybe I'm a failure. And you never find any lasting peace because there's no security in what you do. The question of... What about my past? What about the mistakes I've made? Maybe you are somewhat one of those people that you feel like you just can't move past the past. That's kind of crippling you. The things you've done in your life and the mistakes you've made, there's so much shame and regret that you can't even move forward in life. Well, the gospel answers that question, doesn't it? Because it tells us in Christ, on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and in Jesus we're forgiven. Not for some of the stuff we've done, 
Not for 20% or 60% or 80% or even 99%. We're forgiven 100% for everything we've ever done wrong, everything we're doing wrong, everything we'll do wrong in the future. And so our past doesn't have to cripple us any longer. It's a wonderful thing. You know, I think sometimes we see our Christian lives like we've been refurbished, not reborn. Then when you refurbish a house, you go into an old clunker of a house and you start moving around walls and you start fixing up stuff and you renovate the kitchen and the bathroom and you paint over the old um, awful paint on the walls and and in the end of it, there's a nice house but you can still tell that it's a renovated house. If you scratch beneath the surface, you still see all the muck. And I think sometimes we see ourselves like that as Christians, that, that God has renovated our lives like a renovation rescue. And, but we know that there's a whole lot of stuff there that's just under the surface. But the Bible doesn't say we've been re- uh, renovated. It says we've been reborn, that we're a new creation in Christ. What does it say about the old? It's gone. It's been bulldozed. It's gone. And the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And so you can know in your life that the past doesn't have to hold you back because Jesus answered that question. On the cross, you are 100% forgiven. But what about getting by in life? How can I meet my everyday needs? I, I don't have enough money to get through. Well, we can turn to God's word and we can be reminded of who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll take care of the daily needs. And so we don't have to spend our life stressed out, worried, fighting for every dollar, thinking how are we going to get by? Because God says, if you put him first... He'll take care of your needs. And there's an incredible peace that comes with that. Not only is there our needs being met today, but he says there's an internal inheritance that awaits us and he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that. And so we have this incredible security in what we have in Christ. But am I truly loved? The biggest question that many people ask. The Bible says we're the apple of God's eye that we are precious and valued and loved, that we can have purpose and joy and hope in him. And if we find ourselves not being loved by anyone else on the planet, which is impossible in a community like this, but many people would feel like nobody loves me. Well, in Christ, we can know that the one person who truly counts loves us unconditionally. And what incredible security comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can find lasting peace. This is what makes the gospel so powerful that it answers the big questions of life and it meets the deepest needs of the human heart. When we know who we are, when we know who we're loved by and what the future holds, we can live in true lasting peace that never fades because it's not based on our circumstances that are here today and gone tomorrow. It's based on the promises of a faithful God. Now Neil said last week that peace in the Bible is the word Hebrew word shalom. And that's a, the idea of harmony and wholeness and completeness. It's prosperity and welfare and tranquility. It's a peace that affects every area of our lives and it's a peace that we can only ever find in Christ. And so when we come to Jesus and he starts to make us whole, when we accept the Prince of Peace into our lives, it's from that wholeness that we can then go and bring peace into the world and into our relationships and into our community and to an all of creation. Because we can't give what we don't have. I was thinking about it just the other week and I thought to myself, we often look to the broken things of a broken world to find wholeness in life. How stupid are we? We look to the broken things of a broken world and expect to find wholeness in life. We will never find peace in life without the Prince of Peace. 
We can search our whole lives and we'll keep missing it. But once we find Christ, we can start to be what this passage asks us to be, the light of the world. We can start to be the peacemakers. You see, when we know who we are, there's a confidence in that. We're not shaken by people's opinions anymore. People can say what they like about us, but we know who we are and we know that if God's for me, who can be against me? You see, when we know that we're forgiven from that grace, when we realise how blessed we are to be forgiven by God, when we don't deserve it, when that really grips our heart, it actually enables us to be able to then step out and to forgive others. There's a real security. When we know that God provides for us, we can go from being tight-fisted and holding on and being stingy with everything we've got to being open-handed and to be generous. And as we bless others that are less fortunate than us, we bring that shalom peace into their lives as well. When we know that we're truly loved, it's from that love that we can genuinely love others. And so it's only when we experience peace from Christ that we can become the peacemakers. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now the Bible makes it clear that we've been created in the image of God. Uh, My 15-year-old daughter Taylor and our uh, young son Lenny, 15 and 4, a lot of people say that those two are the splitting image of their father. And Lenny's really thrilled about that. Um, Taylor's quite appalled. And every time I remind her of that, she says, no, I'm not. And she's in Follow Kids as well today. But I recently found a photo uh, of me when I was in my apprenticeship. I was 17 years old. And at that stage, I had beautiful, long, flowing hair, nice and straight like Taylor's. What are you laughing about? It was, it was beautiful. And um, I had this long hair, and I found this photo the other day, and I looked at it, and I thought, man, that looks just like Taylor. And so I showed Taylor. I said, look at this. You look just like me in this photo. And she goes, no, I don't. And so I thought, I'm going to try an experiment. So I said, Lenny, come here. So Lenny waddled in, four years old. And I showed him the photo, and I said, who's that? And he looked at it, and he said, that's Taylor. <laughs> One of those great moments as a dad. And I thought, yes, we proved it. And she was, uh, I was very, very excited and she was absolutely disgusted. <laughs> but whether she likes it or not, in many ways she reflects her father. And that's what it is to be created in the image of God. For every human being, whether they like it or not, they have been created in the image of God. And as Christians, the goal of our lives is to reflect our heavenly Father to the world around us. When people look at our lives, they shouldn't see what we used to be. They should see a glimpse of who God is. Because it's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And so when people look at us, they should see a reflection of what God is like. Now, it's fair to say that the image of God in us is a bit busted up. It's pretty tainted and tarnished by sin, but in Christ... As I said a moment ago, we are a new creation. And part of that new creation is that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he starts to transform us from the inside out so that we become more and more like Christ Jesus and we start to reflect our Heavenly Father in a more accurate way. Now, if God is the ultimate peacemaker, then what should be reflected in our lives? We should be peacemakers. We should be people who are actively making peace where there is no peace as we bring God's character and heart into the situations of our lives. And when we do that, we see a glimpse of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that moment, we are the children of God reflecting the image of our Father. The New Bible Commentary says, Those who respond to Jesus' ministry are heirs of the kingdom and reflect the character of their heavenly Father as they carry Jesus' mission of peacemaking, to the world. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called the children of God. Secondly and finally today, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now you may have seen the news this week and you might have seen a news article about Cooper's Light Beer. They caused a huge uproar this week because this Australian beer company based in Adelaide combined with the Bible Society to celebrate 200 years of the Bible Society's work. And so on some of their cans, um, they printed Bible verses and so they had these commemorative cans that they were releasing to celebrate the Bible Society. Now in conjunction with that, but independent from that, the Bible Society launched a, a series of short videos and they called Keeping It Light. And so um, they released them this week and they, in these videos they have a couple of people who have a respectful conversation about current and controversial issues. The first episode this week was about the Marriage Act now, this caused a huge public backlash. Certain pubs were boycotting Coopers, followed by a public apology by the owners of Cooper Breweries who cancelled the commemorative cans and then pledged to commit themselves to Marriage Equality Australia. Now, after hearing all of this and seeing the public uh, outcry and apology on Facebook, I thought I'd better get online and watch the actual video because it must be appalling. It must be just cringeworthy and, and kind of deeply offensive. And so I jumped on Facebook and I, and I watched this video and you'll never guess what I watched. There was a host sitting around a table with two guys. One was a gay man by the name of Tim Wilson and the other a Bible-believing Christian called Andrew Hasty. They are both are politicians and they serve alongside one another in Parliament. And they sat there with their different opinions and they had a Bible open and some Cooper beer on the table and they had a respectful and civil discussion on their views on marriage. It was disgusting the way they listened to each other, the way they shared their views, the way they even talked about their friendship and how they love one another. It was absolutely appalling. And I thought to myself, wow, why wouldn't you boycott Cooper's beer after all that? What a disgrace. And I, I shook my head as I watched the video and I thought, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we live in these days where you, you feel like it's gone completely mad, where we can't even have a conversation about an issue now or have an opinion unless it's the opinion that we're expected to have. Now the video didn't bias towards one view or another. It simply opened up a conversation. But let me say that I think that if the video had been advocating for same-sex marriage, I don't think we'd be having this discussion right now. The floodgates opened on social media. I saw Coopers referred to as bigots and haters and homophobes. I saw in the news pubs putting out boycott signs and smashing bottles of Coopers outside of their establishment, all because they combined with the Bible Society for something. Now, to be clear, they didn't even endorse the videos. They didn't even present their viewpoint. But even if it did, what makes their view less valid than someone else's? You know, I saw the response of many Christians on social media and Christians are just so you know, shocked by all this and so surprised but you know, we, we sort of think, well, we're such nice people, why would people hate us? But, but if we know we're, our Bibles, we won't be surprised by this. I'll tell you why. Jesus said these words, don't be surprised. What does he think he's trying to get across? <laughs> exactly right. It's not in the Greek, it's exactly the same. Don't be surprised if the world hates you on account of me. They hate you because they hated me first. Let's not be surprised that we're going to face this kind of opposition in increasing measure in our world. And all I can do is point you back to Jesus' words, that blessed are those 
who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is such an important message. might not be the most exciting message, but it's such an important question because things are going well for us as a church, but we're in a world that's increasingly hostile to the gospel, and persecution will come. And so we've got two choices going forward. We can be a wishy-washy, culture-conforming, people-pleasing bunch of Christians who abandon God's word and just embrace society's values. That's option number one. Or option number two, we can continue to stand for righteousness with grace and love of people. But if we do that, we need to be willing to embrace persecution. And I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't point you to the second option. Jesus went through it. The apostles went through it. We will go through it. And verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me finish today's message with a story from this week. It was Wednesday and I was sitting at my desk at home. I just started working on this message. And the phone rang. And I answered the phone and it was some elderly lady. And she was chanting weird stuff in another language on the end of the phone. And uh, she would chant for a bit and then she would chuckle with this really kind of evil sounding chuckle and then she'd chant some more and then she'd chuckle again. And the only discernible words I heard in the whole five minute conversation before I hung up, wasn't a conversation, I was just listening on loudspeaker, it was kind of amusing. And um, the only discernible words I heard in that whole five minutes was Pastor Luke Williams. And then more chanting and then more chuckling and then Pastor Luke Williams again and again for five minutes until I eventually just hung up the phone. And... It was an interesting phone call, not the kind of phone call I get every week and I actually don't believe it was a prank. I believe there was something more significant going on and I'm not surprised. I think God's doing great things in our midst and I'm not surprised there's a real devil out there who wants to persecute and and get into God's people, each of us. And so I wasn't surprised, um, but to be honest, like I said a moment ago, I find it uh, mildly amusing that there's this person on the other end of the phone sort of putting curses over me in the name of a, a really pathetic devil when I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the name above every other name. And so it's kind of pathetic, isn't it, to have someone trying to curse you when we have Jesus in our lives. And so it's nothing to be worried about whatsoever. But this week I posted on Facebook and a friend sent me a link of another pastor in the US and he told a similar story of a phone call he got one day. It was a phone call from a Satanist and the guy rang up and he said, hi, I'm ringing because I have an assignment against you. And so he started to, um, the guy on the other end of the phone, the pastor said, oh, okay, good, well, tell me about it. it, What is it? And so the guy started telling the curse and he said, hey, slow down, slow down, I'm writing this down, writing it down, so (laughs) slow down. So the guy slowed down, he, he kept cursing away. And he got to the end of the the curse and that was the assignment that was against him. And the guy said, hey, thanks, man, I really appreciate it. He said, I really appreciate it because every curse you put on my life, God's going to turn into a blessing. So thanks, man, there's some really good curses here. (laughs) And so he said, I've written them all down. I've written them all down. And so I'm going to start praying the opposite of these curses. And so he wrote it down and then he wrote down the opposite. And for the next couple of weeks, he started praying the opposite of the things that were cursed over his life. And he said a whole bunch of blessings started flowing into his life in an incredible way. And just before the guy hung up the phone, he said, before you go, I've got a word of the Lord for you. And the Satan said, what's that? And he said, I'm coming to get you. (laughs) And the guy hung up abruptly. And so in the next few weeks, there's all this blessing happening in his life. And about five months later, he gets a phone call. 
And this guy on the other end of the phone says, hey, I don't know if you remember me, I was a Satanist and I rang you up and I cursed you a few months ago. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I remember you. I've been praying for you a number of times. And I just got to tell you, I'm so grateful. You would not believe the blessing in my life in the last five months. He said, it's been a, a turning point in my life. And he said, I was just messing with him at this point. But yeah, man, just thank you so much. It was awesome. And he said, hang on a second. You said you were the Satanist. You were a Satanist. And the guy said, yeah, that's true. He said, I, since that phone call, I, I hated that phone call. He said, I was used to ringing up Christians and they're terrified. They're worried that their life's going to fall apart. And, and when I got you on the other end of the phone, a Christian who, who didn't seem to care what I was saying and was determined to see that turned around for the glory of God, he said, I, I didn't know how to take it. And I went back to my coven with the other Satanists and, and I just didn't enjoy the rituals anymore and, and I couldn't get into it. And I started to look around at all the guys around me and I we- realised how weird they are. And then I looked in the mirror and I realised how weird I was. And I realised that, that as I was speaking that stuff over you, I was talking to a person who had a God that was bigger. And he said, one night we were out in the forest and we were performing a blood ritual. We were sitting around a campfire. And he said, in the middle of the campfire, Jesus appeared to us, all 24 of us in the coven. And he said, none of us could move. It was like we were chained to the ground. And he said, Jesus came out of the campfire and he touched me. And he said, I felt like every evil spirit left me in that moment. And he said, every one of our coven has come to know the Lord. He said, the moment you talked about God, you destroyed my power base because I came up against someone where I knew uh, nothing had worked and I started to see a God who was bigger. It's an incredible story of God's power that even in the midst of persecution, he can turn it around for his glory. And I thought about that lady this week after I'd heard that story. And I started to think about this lady and if she was putting a curse over our life, what would she be cursing? And I thought, well, the first thing I'd be cursing is our church, and I'd be cursing my marriage, and I'd be cursing our family. And so this week I've just been praying the blood of Jesus over all those things. Lord, I pray for my family that your blood would cover us, that you protect us, that my kids would grow to know you in ever-increasing measure, that they'd be on fire for you, that they would live their lives for you. Lord, I pray for our marriage that it would be stronger than it's ever been before. Lord, I thank you that it's strong right now and I pray that it's going to get stronger. Lord, I pray for no more silent treatment. <laughs> I didn't pray that, but Kim's not here, so I might as well. <laughs> and then I prayed for our church. And I said, Lord, I thank you for the church that you are raising up in office, that you've called us to be here. Lord, I pray that you would increase what you're doing here, that we would see more people come to know Jesus Christ, that we would see lives turned upside down, that people that are far from you would come to know you, that we would have to get a couple of spars because we won't be able to fit the baptisms in this church one day. Lord, I pray that you continue to do extraordinary supernatural things in our midst because you are an incredible God. And you know what else I did? I started to pray for that woman. I started to pray for that woman. I said, Lord, if she's far from you, Lord, I pray that you would draw her near, that you would do something miraculous in her life, that she would come to know you and confess you as Lord and Saviour. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is why the peacemaking line and the persecution line are so intrinsically linked. Because when persecution increases, our opportunity to make peace increases, even with our enemies. Jesus has destroyed the wall of hostility between us and one another, between us and God, but we're in a world that keeps putting up the wall. Our mission is to keep tearing it down again in the name of Jesus, to keep loving people, even our enemies, with God's help. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted because of his name, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we thank you for these beautiful words in the Beatitudes. Words of our Saviour, written and spoken for us. Lord, I know that this kingdom of yours is an incredibly challenging kingdom. We cannot live according to its values by ourselves and so we need your help. And so today we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into our hearts, that you would empower us and equip us to be your people, to be the children of God. Lord, I pray that you do a work in our heart and in our relationships. I particularly pray for those here today that are in relationships that right now are broken and busted up, relations where there's tension and strife and division, where the walls are up. And in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help them to be the peacemakers that will pull those walls down with your power, that you would bring people back together again in unity around the cross. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church in unity. Lord, I pray that we would not allow the devil to get in to sow seeds of division and doubt and friction and tension. But Lord, we would be a transparent, loving kingdom of your people that love one another and keep peace and make peace with one another. Lord, most of all today, I want to thank you for the gift of the cross, your death and resurrection. We thank you for salvation that comes from that. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't um, have this pathetic striving for peace in all the stuff of the world that just won't bring it. We know a broken world and the broken stuff won't bring wholeness. So Lord, I pray that we stop looking to that stuff and we look to you. And as you come into our life, Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts and lives with that shalom. Those bits of our lives that are broken and busted up, those things that we've done, those mistakes that we've made, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and wholeness into our lives so that from what we have, we can give to our world. Lord, I pray everywhere we go would be the aroma of Christ. Everywhere we go, we would carry peace, that that would be something that characterises us. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of the persecution, we can lift our eyes to your kingdom and we can know that there are promises that no matter what people do to us here, they can never take away those promises. Lord, there is such peace and security in that and so I pray that we would rest on you, that we would trust in you Lord, I pray for those that persecute us. Lord, we're not facing anything like what people are facing overseas. We have it so easy here. So, Lord, I pray for those overseas that right now are being persecuted. I pray in the midst of it that you would help them to love their enemies and to pray for those very people who persecute them. And for us as well, when we're mistreated and insulted because of you, Lord, I pray that our response would not be um, anger or biting back, but I pray that it would be incredible love and grace and forgiveness and prayer. Lord, most of all, I pray today for people here that don't know you. If there's anyone here today that has never met Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, this Saviour I've spoken about today is the most incredible Saviour we can ever have. He's God in human form. He lived, he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again so that we can have the hope of life with him eternally. It's the hope we have as Christians. It's what we look forward to in his kingdom. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm just going to invite you now to lift up your hand and say, if if that's you, you lift your hand and say, Luke, that's me. I want to come to know Jesus. I want him in my heart. I want to know that I'm in relationship with God, that there's no wall or division between me and God. But today I can leave this place knowing I'm in his presence. I'm in relationship with him. Is there anyone here today that that's where you're at? 
and you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour this morning. Lord, we thank you for today. Pray that as we go, we go in your Spirit's power to be the light of the world that you're calling us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Powerful message. Thanks, Luke. Um, A great song to finish with. We've got Redeemed to Redeem because we are redeemed through Christ to bring others to Christ for redemption. So let's stand and sing together.